1: Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDIC. Welcome to the new Books Network. I do love you. And you know, there is something very important we need to do as soon as possible.
0: What's that? Hi, everybody. I'm Dan. And I'm Mike. So welcome to a special episode of 15 Minute Film Fanatics. Now you know the premise of the show is that Mike and I, two lifelong friends, watch movies separately and talk about them on the show for the first time. We never discuss what we what we think about the films, but generally we pick movies that we think we're both gonna like, and that we kind of like. The, the the fun of the show is, you know, I liked it for this reason, you liked it for that reason. Oh, did you notice this? No, I never thought about that. It's like it's like trying to recreate a conversation in the diner after you've seen a great movie and you just want to talk to somebody. And I think Mike and I have invented this. Podcast podcast. podcast because we need I I just need somebody to talk to about movies and so does Mike and we're like fine let's make a podcast out of it so usually we don't know what the other guy thinks but today it's a special episode because what movie are we doing today Mike Eyes Wide Shut we're doing Eyes Wide Shut 1999 the obviously the last film by Stanley Kubrick I had watched this a couple of weeks ago and I knew that Mike was not a fan Mike famously said in a past episode what did you say about Eyes Wide Shut I said that you were the smartest person to ever finish Eyes Wide Shut and I said, ha, ha, ha. But I just, um, I just read a lot more about Kubrick. And I said, you know what? Let me go check this out again. I haven't seen it in a long time. I did. I thought it was terrific. I think Eyes Wide Shut a terrific movie. Mike, I know, does not. I had to talk him off the ledge when he was watching it again. He almost bailed in the middle. I said, it's dishonest to the listeners, man. You cannot bail on the movie and then do an episode. So Mike did stick it out. He did stick it out. And that's what we're going to talk about now. So in part one, we always talk about our overall take on the movie. And I just want to, I'm going to go first, Mike, if that's okay. Go for it. I think that this movie is a, is a substantial work of art by, by a great artist. And I think the way to think about it is this. Kubrick was not great. Or no, that's wrong. Kubrick's forte was not domestic life. He was not like the John Cheever of the cinema or something. But I think that one of the reasons The Shining works so well is because it hits on something domestic, right? The real horror of The Shining is, is if you were put in that situation, would you become like Jack Torrance? Now he's got a lot of baggage as we know before that movie even starts, right? But the, the domestic evil that lurks underneath the Torrance's family life is kind of metastasized by the hotel that hotel works on jack because it's playing with stuff that's already there i think that what goes on in eyes wide shut is this the 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 quote-unquote scary thing about it is you don't know the person to whom you are married i think tom cruise is a doctor he's a healer and he doesn't know anything it the movie is physician heal thyself Sidney Pollack tells him in the movie, you've been out of your depth for the last 24 hours, and he's correct. So I think that the movie, the the quote-unquote scariness of the movie, is that he really doesn't know what he's talking about. The movie hinges upon an argument he has with his wife, which, by the way, I'll just say that argument is a great one-act play. I think that scene is so perfect when they're smoking pot and arguing about her fantasy. And I think that he finds out that his smug self-assuredness really doesn't hold any water. She says to him at the beginning, he's trying to tell her how men think and how women think. And, and she says, well, I guess you didn't think that when you were with the two models. And he says, no, no. And She says, what makes you an exception? And he thinks he's an exception. He was living with his eyes wide shut. And that's what freaks him out. She, she confesses an imagined and potential love affair not a love affair a sex affair a moment of infidelity to prove that he's wrong in an argument she tells him the whole story about the naval officer to prove that he's wrong and then he thinks that gives him license now to go have a sexual adventure but he he never has one and we could talk about that in a little bit but i just think it's a great disturbing dead serious movie about what lurks underneath uh, a seemingly you know a, cu- a couple that has it all together and that's my opening salvo, but eyes wide shut. What's yours?
1: Uh, well, uh, here's the most generous reading I can give of the film. Like if somebody actually asked me what, what it's about, this is all, it's almost too on the nose, how much greenery is in the, is in the movie. In the first scene, Nicole Kidman, who's actually Tom Cruise's real life wife is she's on the toilet. While he's brushing his teeth or finishing getting ready or, or whatever he's doing. And the two of them are together and they're naked, but they're not ashamed. And they're in their apartment full of greenery and they're in, they're in one unit together. And what happens is when they when they kind of go out amongst this garden that they're routinely in and there's there's literally garlands and Christmas trees and everything everywhere, Nicole Kidman, the wife, encounters a snake she runs into like a real life serpent in the shape of a person who tempts her he he says do you want to have a sexual encounter with me and the answer that she gives is kind of no (laughs) but it's actually but it's actually yes and though they're though they're dressed you know nobody there's there's no kissing there's no intimacy in the scene in the sense that we would think of it from a cinematic perspective but it is in some sense the most sexual scene of the movie it's intensely uncomfortably sexual between the two of them because it's it's very nakedly about desire but not naked in a good way and she is she she allows herself to indulge or she kind of bites of what he offers in her mind and she does what happens in genesis which is she takes the thing that she's bitten and she gives it to her husband and he bites too and all of a sudden they're naked together and they're ashamed and they can't the they they can't go back to where they were they can't go back to the first
0: scene when he says to her, that's right. That's a very good reading of that scene, Mike. I think because he says to her, she says, "I'm married," but she has all those little pauses there, and he says, "Oh, it is, as, is it as bad as that?" And she says, "As good as that." So she, her defense of her own marriage doesn't really sound wholehearted.
1: No, it it sounds like when um, it sounds like the flirtation scene from Romeo and Juliet when they meet each other at the ball, <laughs> right. and that the, the the final outcome of the scene is obvious to everybody by the flirtation that's going on in the scene. Again, that's that's a generous reading of the film. I think one interesting thing that Kubrick tries to do here is he tries to do with nudity what I think Tarantino tries to do with vulgarity and violence, which is let me serve it to you every possible way until you can't even tell what it is that when, when the model dies Mm -hmm. and he goes to check up on her at the hospital, they pull her, her naked body out of the drawer and she's supposed to be a model, but she's also supposed to be dead. That's not eroticism.
0: This is the least erotic movie ever made. I mean, all the 15 year old boys who went to see this movie thinking they'd see naked women, you see tons of naked women, but it might as well be reading Grey's anatomy.
1: That, and I, and I understand that. I understand that as the purpose of the film. I get it. There's nothing happening in this film where it's like, oh, Mike, you just you just don't know. I do get it. I get the moral implications. I get where the reading is coming from. I get the overall structure. I get the two part detective story where that person now has to wander the fallen world because they've been kicked out of paradise and you can't you can't find your way back. So then, why the hate? Why the hate? Because it's because it's a it's a bad movie on every level. I'll say one more good thing and then I'm going to tell you a bunch of bad things. Go. What you said about Nicole Kidman and Tom Cruise in the room together having an argument as husband and wife, that's true. They're both, they're great actors, both of them. Um, Nicole Kidman, give—we, she's been on this podcast in a way uh, before <laughs> many, many a times. A friend of the pod. <laughs> and, as you, and as you know, so I didn't finish the film the first time through. I watched the first hour plus tax and quit. And then i thought maybe i was just a callow and naive the first time i watched it so i tried it again for this podcast as an adult and i almost quit in exactly the same spot because it's it's just not it's not for me but it's not necessarily for for moral reasons it's because everything that i love about movies in this movie is bad and let me say one so let me say one more thing which is that we have different readings of greatness I think you and I can agree on some great directors, great actors, great pictures. Obviously, or this podcast wouldn't exist. But to me, there are no sacred cows. There's no such. There's no such thing as Kubrick. There's no Kubrick umbrella. There's some of his films seem to share the same values and assumptions from an aesthetic perspective. But there's no such thing as kubrick just the same way that there's no such thing as john ford some of his movies have things in common with one another but they are not great because they're made by john ford john ford is great because he made overall he did better than he did bad and the same for stanley kubrick who was a wonderful director but there's no sacred
0: cows okay fine yeah there's no sacred cows that's fine alfred hitchcock has terrible movies too this movie is way too long structurally it does not work
1: it's dialogue And I get that its dialogue might be wooden on purpose. There is a thing going on, say, with um, it's very obvious that the dialogue in the space station in 2001 is meant to be weird, right? It's it's very obvious that there's something that the hotel guys are not telling Jack Nicholson at the beginning of The Shining, and that's intended to be weird. I'm not out of the loop. I'm very much in the loop. (laughs) the dialogue is terrible um i the even the the color saturation in this in this film is beautiful but it's a little too choreographed i understand that kubrick was the kind of guy who choreographed everything there's there's a scene where tom cruise knows he's being followed by the guy mm-hmm. and he goes around the corner and one car and it's kind of a t-shaped intersection they're yep. on the long piece of the t and one car goes and you know that there's a crew on the right hand going 3 2 one okay drive and that driver probably did that 115 times like we all know about his method and process nothing's by accident but the background setting of this film in the the you know the fake village with all the Christmas lights with the recreations there's actually something almost like a little too twee or a little too cute that really makes me not even enjoy some of the color saturation in the film that you're supposed to enjoy um I think a Kubrickian thing that he does, Kubrick-esque, um, that, I, that I enjoy is when he goes to the prostitute's apartment in the village, and he takes a very unbeautiful thing with very poor lighting. He uses some of the natural lighting in the apartment, uh, which must have been a recreated studio, mm-hmm. but he makes some of the shots beautiful. That's a Kubrick thing, and I applaud him for that. That's pretty awesome, because it that's something that not a lot of people can do. But there's no aspect... From its moral values, to its dialogue, to its performances, to its length, to its structure, to the way that it's shot that makes this film good or up to Kubrick standard. And for that reason, like I'm a hard pass.
0: Well, I think that um, people did complain when it was first out um, and that, you know, a friend of mine said this movie should be called What I Remember About New York by Stanley Kubrick because people complain about what New York looks like in this film. I think that's all done. And let me go back. First of all, it it is long. And I get it. So if somebody said, you know, I kind of like Eyes Wide Shut, but that's a le- that's a slog of a movie like that wouldn't make me like jump out of my skin or jump up and down the way that people say 2001 is too long. Like, 2001 is not too long.
1: It's Th- it's neither a second too long nor a second it, too it, short. It's
0: perfect. Right. So but if somebody said, oh, I think Eyes Wide Shut is too long, I'd be like, all right, fine. Yeah, you got to be in the mood for it. I don't think this movies for everybody. But I think that the way that the city looks is meant to mirror what's going on in Tom Cruise. Because the whole movie is, and it's not like an Owl Creek Bridge thing, like was it all a dream? But it's dreamlike. It's about a guy in shock. It's about a guy wandering through New York the way that Leopold Bloom wanders through Dublin in Ulysses. This, This whole movie is like the Nighttown chapter of Ulysses. That's why everybody Tom Cruise meets either wants to have sex with him. Is offering him sex, is offering him a way to have sex with somebody else. That's that in a quote unquote regular movie, that would be an eye roll and that'd be coincidence. But I think what happens is what he's so freaked out by what his wife tells him that every single thing he looks at now is seen through that filter. That's why we get to, we get his, his quote unquote memory of his wife sleeping with a naval officer, which never happened, but that is actually. All, it keeps coming in the movie and you notice it gets more and more salacious and dirty as the movie goes on because he can't shake it and when you're holding a hammer everything looks like a nail and it's it's and it's black and white uh, and and I and I it's blue and white it's blue and white blue and white
1: uh again I I get it it's it's a little it's a little cute and there's a lot of things about this movie that are a little cute and I it just it doesn't add up. It doesn't add up or match life in a way that I think that 2001 2001 is a movie about things that never happened, but it seems much more real than Eyes Wide Shut, which I think, by the way, just just to put this on record is is a film about things that I'm 100 percent sure happen. Like I, you know, I'm like, this is not this is not about me, uh, this is this is not about um trying to drag politics into it or saying like that that stuff doesn't happen. Totally does happen. If you if you told me, if you told me, hey, by the way, the most respectable looking people in society are the most open to the influence of uh Dionysus and they have they get together for orgiastic revelry, I'd be like, uh, yeah. Have you, yeah. what'd you pick up the paper today?
0: Like, yeah. Well, did you read, did you ever hear of Jeffrey Epstein? Right. right exactly.
1: Right. So all of, right. And all of that is obvious. And I think the beauty of that is that it, it transcends the, it transcends the boundaries of politics. My point is that 2001 is very much less a fantasy film. There's nothing cute about it. It's, it matches the experience of existence and it, and it has something for it has something to be fed on and the, the, the eyes wide shuts is, a I think a book, a, a book is a, is a film very much about events that are hypothetically true, but they're, they're true in like a,
0: but they're true to him. That's exactly the point that the, her, uh, her a fantasy about the naval officer is hypothetically true but she says it she says it out loud she says something you're never supposed to say out loud to the person you're married to which is i saw this other person and the person almost uh, uh, to be kind i'll say the person uh made me swoon the person bowled me over you're you, you, like that that is what you're not supposed to say but she says it out loud and that hypothetical becomes real for him. And I think that's a very human experience that you don't want to know things about the person who's your soulmate.
1: And I'm I'm not disagreeing or saying that that's a bad scene. I think that the way that it's unpacked is not it's not a good move. And again, you could tell me everything's on purpose. You can say the color, the color saturation, the color saturation is on. Pur- it's like, OK, it sucks. You could say the dialogue is written wooden, right? Everybody begins sentences with what phrase, Daniel?
0: to be per- to be perfectly honest with you.
1: Right, which could be an alternative title for the film. Do I think it's accidentally bad? No, I don't think it's accidentally bad. I didn't notice that by the
0: way. To our listeners, Mike started texting me the phrase to be perfectly honest with you over and over and over and I'm like what is he even talking about? Well, it turns out that Mike was annoyed because he said that that comes up in the movie a 100 times. I didn't I didn't notice that at all. I was into the movie. I didn't notice that that tick of the screenplay at all
1: and i get that that's likely on purpose and it is also again it's a cute alternative title for the movie right instead of eyes wide shut what what happens is she is com- she is perfectly honest, honest with him and then it he gets x-ray vision where he can see w- whether or not they're actually happening he can see the hidden erotic and suggested undertones that underlie every conversation he has every place he goes and his society as a whole your boss your friend the local judge right that's why everybody is is cloaked and masked because they they want to conceal their identities they want to keep themselves hidden they don't want to be perfectly honest with you and he's the only one at the party who's completely honest he, right he takes his hood and his
0: mask off let's talk about that in part two all
1: right we're sticking to the script here it's part two so we always talk about Key scenes. So Dan, what what's a key scene?
0: I want to talk about how he starts to put on, you said his, his night vision goggles or his his 2020 vision. After the argument gets out of control, he gets a phone call that one of his client dies and he has to go over to the, the apartment where the old man is. So in, in true movie fashion, he puts a suit on again. He 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 shakes off the uh the, the the pot high he's on and gets there and he's talking about um this woman's father and she starts saying, you know, I love you, I love you. Remember, she reached she leans over and mm-hmm. kisses him and that the first time I saw it, I remember raising my eyebrows going like, what, what's going on? Because I think I didn't really know how to watch it, but I think that what happens is that's, that's why this movie is so much like a dream because everybody starts throwing themselves at him and they just start saying things like even if she did love Tom Cruise, she wouldn't just start saying, I love you. I love you. I think that, I think that what that confession by his wife, I know I keep going back to that is like pot. It's like a drug and it heightens all his senses to the awareness. We start to see that everywhere. But I think that what's what's interesting about that scene is you said this before about the prostitute that's up in Sidney Pollock's bathroom, which, by the way, is the most unbelievable bathroom like ever, ever committed to film, is that that woman leans over to Tom Cruise and starts kissing him while her father is dead on the bed next to her. And that sets up what I think is throughout this movie is the combination of sex and death. I mean this is the least there's no eroticism in the movie. It's it's sex and death are one one inch away. What you said before about the morgue, what you said before about what he does with nudity, um like Tarantino does with violence, right? I mean and I think that the sex without love, not to sound all moralistic here, but sex without love is a kind of death. And that's what I think the movie – that's what Tom Cruise can't articulate, and he can't put his finger on it because he tries. He tries really hard to go out and be Casanova for an evening. He wants to be James Boswell, but he, he can't do it. Um, all, his, all his attempts are thwarted. But that's what I think is going on at the heart of this movie, especially in the last line, which we'll talk about later, that this movie is not – it's it's about the, the relationship with sex and death are so close. And that comes out the most in the orgy scene.
1: Uh, look, look, I'd, I don't not buy that. Y- you can't then build – your entire your entire film on on the thing and not achieve emptiness like, meaning i i don't actually disagree with you that that's not you didn't feel that is he, no i he starts I,
0: crying at the end he says i'll tell you everything
1: no i think i think the movie ultimately is is extremely empty and i think that the thing that it's i think the the conceit of the film is this this doesn't work meaning this emptiness this sex this hedonistic void doesn't work However, that's what I'm going to build the house out of. And that's ultimately what's in it. And it's it's empty. Like, I, I I just see that as the consent, the central conceit of the movie. I think it's an interesting idea that failed. And it certainly does not make good viewing. I mean, this movie is car- this movie is like a carriage that doesn't have any wheels, but it's got two strong horses in front. And one is, you know, Tom Cruise and one is Nicole Kidman. And they're being controlled by Stanley Kubrick, so what who are is the wheels? also master. What are the wheels it, that are missing? Uh, strong dialogue, interesting structure—the the kinds of th- the kinds of things that his other movies have that keep people uh, that like. Uh, Two thousand one does not have good dialogue, but it has everything else firing. Well, it, doesn't have,
0: it doesn't have dialogue on purpose, right?
1: But it, it, it exactly, but so it's it's an omission. Uh, But it's it's a conscious omission, which could have been filled in 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 two seconds. It's it's the master who knows how to who knows how to do it and is able is strong enough in their aesthetic purpose to leave that thing out because it's actually not needed. It's like, you know, asking why. Yeah. So that's that's what it is. But this is this is a carriage with no wheels that's just being dragged along.
0: You didn't have any emotional reaction to anything. So, for example, like you like you did you did you think the orgy scene was scary? Did you think it was disturbing? I sure did. It's, it's,
1: no, of course, it's, of course, it, of course it's scary and it's disturbing, but it's, that's not, that's not emotional content in the same, in the same way. And I think that what's partially what's missing in this film is, um I'll give you an example. In The Shining, one of the things that makes The Shining work is you have a, you have a character who's, who who's crazy or or possessed, right? And then you have, some kind of normative function from other characters who are talking and speaking and acting normally. Mm -hmm. And so they're giving them a backdrop against which they can move. One of the things that's structurally missing from this film is it's everybody. Everybody's in on it. Everybody's doing it. And I understand that as a conceit, but it does not work as a film. Everybody rolls their eyes at these tropes, like when you have a Frodo character in a in a world building type of scheme and it's like why do i need a fr- well you need somebody who's who has a little bit of information but is picking up information so that i can pick up information so that i can be comfortable and that comfort is not something that you can just casually discard aesthetically and still make your structure work unless you have an absolutely tour de force once in a lifetime idea of something that you're going to pull off right if you're going to um E.B. White says, if you're going to be a genius, like just go be one, which is fine. But this movie was maybe made by a genius, but it is not a work of genius. It breaks a lot of the rules and it, it does not break them successfully. It breaks them. And those breakages are certainly
0: felt by this viewer. Everybody is not in on it. Everybody in the movie is not in on it. Tom Cruise isn't in on it. That's what the movie's about. No, he isn't. He is in on it. How is he? He's not. He's the babe in the woods. That's why he breaks down at the end. She's and we'll, I get you know. We'll talk about that in part three. But I mean, he's the babe in the woods. He tries to be a boy scout. That's why he can't. No, do I, I,
1: I understand. I understand that he is. I understand that he is a naive. But it does. But it doesn't work. It doesn't work in the same way. So you may come back at me and you may say, "Okay, well, this this movie has the structure of Alice in Wonderland. What about what about Alice in Wonderland? Why does Alice work? And this doesn't because there's something there's something about the actual innocence of Alice that makes it work, which in Tom Cruise's character is totally subverted. Right. He doesn't he gets to the party by his own curiosity, not because he's trapped and trying to go home. Right. Right. And that's right. And so you right. So you may say to me, but Michael, what does that have to do with the movie? And what it has to do with the movie is that if you lack anything else, but you give strong motivation, you give you give strong ulterior motivation that makes the plot work. Right. It's not just something that you do for the audience. There are rules to art. It's a a science as much as it is anything else. And you can't break them all and still expect your thing to work
0: because it doesn't. I think dreams don't work that way I think great art, dreams don't work that way you have watched Bugs Bunny your whole life and so have wait. I you ever see the one wait a minute you ever see the one where the bank robber I think is going like everyone's turned into rabbits and then Bugs Bunny turns around and thinks he's yeah. like what's all this with a rabbit stock that's what this movie is everybody's turning into rabbits and that's a nightmare now, so it doesn't I, I, obey I, the rules and I understand like, I understand everything what you're saying I'm not you know but but I'm but with dream struck,
1: but we've done but we've done movies on the podcast that have dream structures or have intuitive structures how do they write how do they work do, do you remember when we did the lighthouse sure right the lighthouse runs on a nightmarish intuitive structure that shouldn't work so what makes it work right it obeys at least a couple of the classical unities the two of them are trapped and they can't get out there's no right there's no it doesn't work if they could just leave but there's they no
0: want. normal person in the white house like it's <laughs> like to bounce off either of their weirdness i'm against. not i'm not I'm not arguing for one rule
1: over the other. I'm saying you have to pick, even if you just pick one, they are rules for a reason. And I'm not angry at Kubrick for not following the rules. I'm upset that I sat through this empty movie and then we're going to, you know, and then we have an episode called Eyes Wide Shut and people are like, I guess Mike and Dan both like it. No, I do not. It does not work as a film. And I don't care who made it. I don't care if my brother made it or Stanley Kubrick made it. It doesn't work. Right. So the lighthouse at least observes some of the classical unities and then it does whatever it wants. But you at least have a base structure. They're trapped in there. They can't get out. The dialogue is compelling. You're not sure where you are the entire time. Right. That Nobody nobody was born and raised in that lighthouse. I really do. I, I didn't know what you said about Kubrick in New York until you brought it up on the podcast. And I understand if he has a personal fuzzy nostalgia for for what's being portrayed uh, portrayed. Uh, and I can appreciate that, but but I don't care as a viewer.
0: All right, we're gonna wind this thing down because we're never gonna see eye to eye on this, but that's fine. You know, having a ninety nine point four percent average is is pretty darn good. I, I'll just say this, we can go back and forth and nothing, <laughs> nothing I say will convince you, nothing you say will convince me. But again, I am not going to die on the eyes wide shut hill. I don't think that's what that's what it's for. But I do think it's interesting. And I do think it it, 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 it was, it's never boring. Now, you think it's terribly boring.
1: I do think it's boring. Yeah. yeah.
0: I don't think it's ever boring. I think it's I think it's filled with dread. And I think that that dread is both physical, like he's in physical danger because they give him the note and they say, and then when they put the mask on the pillow, like they're definitely onto him. But I think the dread is also about how he's supposed to go back. And we always talk about the end of the title in our last segment. That's what goes on in the toy store, I think, at the end. So at the very end, they're they're kind of reconciling in the toy store. They're going to buy their kid a Christmas present or whatever they're going to buy her. And she says, okay, we're awake now. And he says, forever. He's going to go back. And she has that thing. No, no, don't say forever. I, ca- I can't deal with forever. Let's not use that word. It frightens me. And she says, I do love you. And she says, "There's something very important we need to do as soon as possible." And he says, "What's that?" And she says, she drops the f bomb, which is interesting. The last word of the last movie of Stanley Kubrick. Now, of course, that word does not mean what Bill is thinking. He he wants her to say, "We should make love," but she doesn't. And I think that before you said, um, I forgot you said something earlier about about the way the way the movie presents the the emptiness of the world. This movie takes her side at the end it's like the grateful dead song the women are smarter it kind of takes her side at the end he's the night he's the knife like you said he's the boy scout so when she says that at the end and then the credits come on you know i think it's just very it's a very cold cold movie and he's never getting back that marriage is never getting back together they have to go through it in this dreamlike thing, with their eyes wide shut. What did Ben Franklin say? He has that line. He said, Be- "Before you got married, go into every marriage with um, both of your eyes open, and then once you're married, with you know, with both of them half closed." And I think that's kind of what happens at the end of the movie.
1: I don't disagree with what you just said. I th- I think that again, you you have to do certain structural things. You just think it doesn't work. It does. It no. It but it but it really doesn't. And I I'm trying to get us because I know that you know what works. I know that you know what works, right? But you don't you don't counterbalance something that doesn't weigh anything on the other side, right? It, this it's it's irony for its for its own sake. At whose expense even is that is that joke, right? They, like even and Alice in Wonderland.
0: Expense. It's at his expense.
1: Well, it's it's no, it's at my expense. It's I mean, no, it's it's at my it's at my expense. And but it's but it's obviously it's obviously untrue because it does not match some of its tensions match lived experiences. Yes. Some of its anxieties match lived experience. Again, not, you know, in a, in a contemporary political element, some of its sensationalism match lived experience, but its lived experience is not lived
0: experience. It doesn't match my lived experience. Correct. Thank, thank God. Thank God. Thank God, right? But like, you know, The Seventh Samurai doesn't match to my lived experience either. Yes, it uh
1: but it does, it does, because that that's like that's like fault. If you took fall staffs, um, what is what is honor, right? right. It is a word. It is a word. You know who 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 had it? Him that him died, that died a, yesterday. Him that died a Wednesday, right? And but and if you took that and you you got and you interpreted that through the eyes of a specific culture at a specific time and you played with the idea you would get the seven samurai and that's what makes that's what makes even certain speeches just inside shakespeare work as little poems or little encapsulated moments this movie does not what this movie is not it's not punching up or down or sideways it's it's shadow boxing like it's not actually even punching anything
0: so you think it's what gertrude stein said about i think it's he said it about california there's, there's no, no there there, there. There. There's no there there's no there there right but i think at the, like it's not lived experience but it's but it's it's it gives you it gives you a window into the humanity of some people and what some people go through it's it's not this movie is for me is not a mirror thank god this movie for me is more of a window sometimes sometimes movies can be windows or mirrors this is this is a window because think about you just made me think about this how does full metal jacket end you remember how full metal jacket ends there's they're singing the mickey mouse song right and then joker says um i am in a world of shit but at least i'm alive and, and then the credits, well, that's not, I mean, that's, that's only one small, you said before the eyes wide shut doesn't tell the whole story. I didn't story. say
1: everything. I didn't say everything has to have a positive experience. No, Again, about, this, you this said is it not it doesn't show the
0: whole story of humanity. Like You said Nicole Kidman's thing was not the whole story of marriage. She's obviously, but it's, it's a sliver of it. It just says the way it, the movie doesn't encompass all of human um, feeling and all nor of marriage. Nor,
1: nor do I, nor do I expect it to, but it does not follow. It does not follow any aesthetic rules or principles and i understand how some people could would 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 take that and consider it a badge of honor but if you if you only follow one or two it is but if you follow none of them it's not it's just terrible it's yeah, just I don't bad it as
0: a, i don't take it as a badge of honor i you know that's not why I,
1: I thought it was interesting it's a poor it's a poor film it's the first or second draft of a script that got made by a person who has one of the best and most natural eyes who that ever lived and i i'm have no problem admitting that about kubrick and he had two of the greatest workhorses in hollywood at the time who were by the way actually married with it right. which it should be an extra element of interest but i think i think that the most interesting thing about this movie is that it's in the guinness book of world records for how long it took to film that's the most interesting thing about it there's there's it has nothing To recommend it. And again, there's you can have a structure in which a naive wanders through a nightmare world. But then you have to obey the structures. Even Alice in Wonderland obeys the structures. The Wizard of Oz obeys the structures. That is a literary structure and it works and it has rules. This does not follow any of those rules. It doesn't even understand those rules and it doesn't think about itself in those terms.
0: Well, I think it does work. I think that he I think that it does work. And that's why the movie is so unsettling. Almost as unsettling as this episode of 50 Minute Film Fanatics. <laughs> Thanks for listening, everybody. We hope you enjoyed our debate about Eyes Wide Shut. You can follow us on X at 15MINFilm. You can also follow us where, Mike? letterboxed, letterboxed. Now, remember, we, we agree about almost all of these, but if you think there's another movie that you'd like to get our hot take on, please please give us a suggestion. Please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, or you could email us. The email address is on our X account. We hope we'll get some recommendations from you soon. Thank you.
1: Watch something else.
0: I also actually just thought of something else before before we actually leave. I just want to go uh, also bring up the point that you thought the omen was a good movie and but th- this is this is not. The the omen the no, omen you actually no, thought it was bad. You thought it was it's, bad, it's, but a yeah, wonderful. It is bad. bad. It is bad.
1: It's it's awesomely bad because it's it's unironically bad. It is it's encapsulated in its own self congratulation in a way that makes it endearing. Right, that this movie pretends to be superior. It's a, it's it's a. It tells you that it has something to say, and it does not have anything to say. It's it's the world is cheap, and it is cheap. And now I have no problem admitting that you could. Again, this is it's not a moralistic argument. You could take the same things that happen in the film, like if you storyboarded them all out, and you could make a good movie based on that. If somebody else, if somebody took the source material and readapted it into something else, I might actually watch that to see how it differs from from Eyes Wide Shut. But this this is sloppy and it's sloppy work from somebody I don't expect sloppy work from. So it's it's doubly startling.
0: All right. Well, um, you know, let, let me know how you think of Omen 2. Maybe Omen 2 will be as good as Eyes Wide Shut.